Hi, everyone, and welcome to the DCRO Risk Governance Podcast, where we're focusing on risk governance issues, learning about the work of and receiving guidance from experienced board directors, senior executives, and thought leaders on issues that are important for those governing organizations. My guest today is Marie-Josée Privic. Marie-Josée is an ESG advisor with FinCom Services in Montreal, where she works with companies to enhance their ESG disclosures to meet investors' growing demands. She has nearly 30 years of experience in the capital markets, namely as a financial analyst of small and mid-cap companies. As director of investor relations for a publicly listed renewable power producer, and as an ESG integration consultant to both investors and issuers. Marie Jose is a member of the CFA Montreal ESG Committee, a member of CPA Canada's Value Creation Working Group, the Foresight Initiative, and is a leader of the SASB FSA Credential Community of Practice in Quebec. She also sits on the board of the St. Raphael Palliative Care Home and Day Center. Marie Jose holds a BCom in Finance from McGill University and a Certificate in Applied Communications from Université de Montréal. She is a CFA charter holder and holds the Fundamentals of Sustainability Accounting credential of the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, as well as the Responsible Investment Professional Certification designation from the Canadian Responsible Investment Association. Welcome, Marie-José. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to have you with us today. Um, This is a conversation I've been looking forward to for a few weeks since we first started talking about it because this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. So I'm going to start off with something that is intentionally provocative um, because Mm -hmm. I'm sure this is something that that you've run into as well. But I want to say I'm going to make a statement and then ask you a question and, and get your response. So the statement is this, ESG reporting by companies is mostly about compliance and is thus a pro forma exercise to satisfy the needs of ESG rating companies. In other words, it's seen as a tax on business and not value adding for those businesses. Is this an accurate perspective? Uh, well, I, I think that I would agree with you that it is um, a perception, a widely shared perception, I think, uh, by many companies. Uh, what I disagree with is that this is actually the case. Um, in my opinion, ESG reporting is not at all about getting a rating. Um, It's about meeting investors' information needs. And we can get into the details of why investors are looking for more and better ESG information and what they're doing with that information. But um, really, the end goal is meeting investors' information needs. And and managing material environmental social governance issues, managing them well and reporting on that is really about being a better company. And being a better company ultimately uh, leads to better valuation. Let's talk a little bit more about this. I mean, the idea that that ESG can be value creating for both companies and investment uh, professionals is something I've believed in for quite some time and, and done some research in this area as well. You've worked on both sides of this fence for investors as well as helping companies to draw capital from those investors. What is the conversation like when an investor, say an activist investor, approaches one of their portfolio companies and starts asking about their ESG priorities? What's the reception and, and, and how are they going about doing this? Before I answer, I, I, I think it might be important to clarify um, 
the, the term activist and activist in, investor and in, in the context of responsible investment, in the context of companies that are looking at these environmental social governance issues and engaging with companies uh, on them, um, it's not the traditional activist investor um, uh, definition or, or activity that we can, that, that we that comes to mind, that we think of when we hear that word. It's really uh, more of a conversation, more about wanting to know, know more, uh, oftentimes because there is little information being provided proactively by the companies in their reporting, wanting to dive deeper and get more granular about those issues, and in some cases wanting to um, encourage and drive behavior change, i.e., for companies, investors would like for companies to um, uh, focus on certain issues that they may not be focusing on uh, or take more action on certain issues and measure their performance on those issues and, and drive the better management of those issues. And when we're talking issues, we mean uh, risks and also opportunities, business risks and business um, opportunities. Investors are recognizing that proper management of these, we'll call them, you know, some people call them extra financial or pre-financial issues, um, have uh, an impact on the way the company manages its business, on its risk profile, on its long-term prospects, um, on its reputational capital, on its operating and financial performance. And so better managing those issues uh, makes for better performance, lower risk profile. And so investors are now looking for more information about those issues because they're incorporating them into their own uh, analysis and investment decision-making processes, uh, which invariably involves uh, determining a value for these, for these companies. Well, Newt Scherer, who, who had run the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund, I think was one of the early advocates of, of this for investment performance. And I see other sovereign wealth funds and um, responsible investment uh, uh, portfolios emphasizing this. So when you try to delineate between what we might think of as a traditional activist, is that the delineation you're making? Or are you thinking of activists in the traditional sense as those that try to come in and change a board so they can uh, you know, extract some short-term wealth? Yeah, exactly. It is, it is not that definition, and I think that's one of the misconceptions that maybe a lot of companies have is this fear or concern that uh, people that are, you know, investors that are involved in ESG or responsible investment are traditional activists, and they're seeking to, you know, replace the board or change company strategy or, um, you know, take over and sell it off uh, piece by piece, uh, generate a quick return, and then move on. And that that's really not what responsible investors um, are seeking or doing they really are it's really more of a of a perspective of, of long-term investment and helping the company develop better practices to make it a, make for a better company but and and ultimately make for better long-term returns for those investors so a much more collaborative much more conversational um, uh, long-term engagement obviously investors and active investors in particular um, uh, can always vote with their feet and so there is a one of the investment strategies that people do hear about sometimes is divestment but divestment for responsible investors is by and large not certainly not the primary investment strategy probably the last recourse investment strategy and so um, uh, first and foremost they they want to try to engage with companies those of course in particular where there are issues that are perhaps not being managed as 
well as they could or should be um, to try to to try to to try to implement that behavior change and capture that uh, additional value creation, additional return, which makes for better long-term returns uh, for the, for the investors who are holding those companies. And a colleague of mine, Bart Madden, um, we serve on the advisory board together at a place called the Center for Advancing Corporate Performance. He's just written a book called Value Creation Principles. And, and I think his point is similar to what you were saying. Um, ultimately, this is about creating long-term value. He doesn't necessarily, I mean, he mentions it, but he doesn't necessarily focus on ESG. Um, but it's really part of how companies live their lives well. Um, and that, you know, if you look at an investment strategy that says, I need to maximize return, um, there's some sense that going back to this first question, if this is a tax on businesses, then they can't also maximize investment return. And mm -hmm. I've always argued that you can simultaneously solve both that need as well as this need for sustainability and long-term value creation. Um, so they're, they're interesting. And I, one of the things that I've read you or heard you say or read in some of the things that you've put out is in talking to companies and maybe trying to get them more comfortable with this idea, you say, you're already doing it, now report it. So part of my question next to you is, you know, if there is ESG adoption that's happening at companies, who is it that's driving that? And, and if you can get them to understand this mindset that you're already doing it um, and you're just really about reporting it, who is it that's, that's the primary driver? Do you have to go to a chief sustainability officer or, or is it at the board or the CEO level? Mm -hmm. So great question. And uh, maybe before I answer that question, back to uh, your reference to when I say you're already doing it now reporting, um, actually reminds me that maybe it's a good idea to uh, spend a little bit of time of clarifying what do we mean when we talk about ESG issues, in particular material ESG issues, because in relation to this aspect of value creation, in relation to you know an investor's objective of maximizing return, and are the two mutually exclusive, or actually are they mutually beneficial? Um, it, it's materiality is the key determinant that makes the difference. Um, and back to you, your first question, and referring to it being a tax, and you know getting an ESG rating is is a tax. Um, because I, I happen to think that it is value creating and we could talk about how I see that happening, um, I would uh, suggest looking at it as an investment rather than a tax. It's an investment in being a better managed company with better long-term prospects and a lower risk profile. So is that being driven if you can get to that place, which I agree with you, I think is a really important change in perspective. If you can get to that place, do you find most success um, in getting there at the board level, CEO level, or, yeah. or does it come from a little bit lower in the organization? Yeah, so um, if you're asking me who's doing sustainability or ESG within a company, uh, pushing for ESG adoption, where it sits in a company, uh, which is a question that often comes up, is where should it sit and, and who's doing it? The answer uh, is it depends, and it can be a variety of different um, uh, places or departments. It could be a sustainability department, it could be communications, it could be investor relations, it could be finance, it could be increasingly the corporate secretary because of the connection to the board. Um, it could be risk management, the enterprise risk management, or it could be uh, those responsible for formulating strategy. If you're asking me who should be driving ESG <laughs> adoption, that's a different question. It definitely, in my opinion, should be that the top levels of the organization, i.e. the board, 
and the C-suite. Um, in particular, the CEO, because I think he is ultimately the one who's accountable and he needs to be conversant, uh, fully conversant about sustainability as it is integrated into all of the different um, processes and mechanisms of the company. Um, but when you talk about, you know, overall governance, when you talk about risk, when you talk about strategy formulation, when you talk about not only managing but also reporting and accountability for for the company's performance. All of those things are board responsibilities, and therefore, ultimately, sustainability ESG is a board responsibility. Yeah. So when we get to the should, I think that's important for our for goals and objectives is to see where you'd ultimately like to get to. And I think that you know you you touched on this just a second ago about materiality. And I've also read somewhere where you've written that there may be 20 to 40 issues that um, are important uh, for companies when they look at their ESG factors. Let's call them factors instead of ratings. But that tends then to drop to, say, maybe five or six that are crucial for each company. Um, do those five or six vary by industry, by company, or are there any universal elements that boards, you know, as they walk into the room, say, I need to know these things about our ESG initiatives. Is there is there any commonality, or or is it specific to each company? Great question. And so, you know, short short answer, and then I'll elaborate a little bit. Short answer is specific, industry specific, and ultimately company specific. Absolutely, because materiality is about the issues that matter the most to your operations and your financial performance, to your ability to conduct your activities um, on a for-profit basis. Um, uh, over the long term. And so these tend to be, uh, you know, specific to the kind of the nature of your activities and, and also to the nature of the company. And, and I can quickly uh, reference, you know, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board having done a lot of work, a lot of fundamental analysis to try to identify a core set, by no means exhaustive, but a core set of issues um, that are specific to an industry and to help drive reporting of comparable information to allow investors um, to have better and more reliable comparable information with which to analyze different companies. Having said this, um, I think there are certain issues that all companies do face and therefore should address and uh, some examples would include cybersecurity or diversity and inclusion. I don't think there are many companies today that uh, don't have any form of technology that, that may um, expose them to cybersecurity risks and I don't think there's any company today that um, has no people in it and therefore would not have um, uh, to, to be concerned with and to address diversity and inclusion uh, issues. And then there are some what I call system level risks or opportunities um, that all companies also need to address and the example there par excellence is uh, obviously climate change. And What's important to know about climate change is that it's not just about the impact that companies can have on climate change. Uh, for example, those that either have high levels of emissions or that produce products that have high levels of emissions uh, when they're consumed, but also the impact that climate change can have on companies. And uh, in that respect, uh, all companies are potentially affected. So there are a number of companies that try to give us some transparency into whether uh, companies that we might invest in or, or provide capital to are addressing ESG issues. And they, they take a lot of different approaches. 
you know, many of them ask these companies to complete questionnaires, which again, I think is part of where this mindset might come in that this is a burden or a tax. But one of the things that was brought up um, somewhere I was reading about this, and I don't, I don't remember exactly where, but there's the potential here too that through this process of answering these questionnaires, companies might run the risk of disclosing material non-public information. So our argument is that this ESG uh, focus and this ESG information is material. But how do you see companies completing forms like this and then also avoiding this potential problem of, of disclosing material information but not in a public way, something that's ultimately blended in with a, a generic rating or, or a rating that comes out from one of these uh, entities. Mm -hmm. um, so you're, you're absolutely right that there is this proliferation of third-party ESG ratings firms and uh, why is there that proliferation is because of this growing need that investors have for ESG information and there, these are firms that are trying to meet that need and what they provide is an assessment of a company's ESG performance uh, boiled down in uh, typically a single rating or, or a series of, um, of uh, ratings. Um, ESG ratings can essentially be divided into two categories based on how they collect information from the company. So there are those that only use publicly available information in corporate documents, and then there are those that send companies those detailed questionnaires you refer to about a variety of ESG issues. Um, and uh, just quickly, important to note that pretty much all of the ratings agencies, both of those types of agencies, um, use a combination of company-specific, company-sourced information, as well as externally sourced information, so things like articles and social media posts and things like that. Right. Um, so in addition to the fact that there, there is now such a thing as questionnaire fatigue, uh, referring to what you mentioned about uh, companies getting growing numbers of these different questionnaires, and the problem is that no two are alike. They ask different uh, questions, uh, sometimes about the same issues, sometimes about different issues altogether. Um, but I do have concerns about the, the questionnaire-based model specifically, um, exactly in the sense of your question. Uh, this notion of potentially providing uh, material non-public information. Because in responding to questionnaires, companies may in indeed be, be providing information um, that is not public, and that, that's definitely the case for any company that doesn't have any kind of sustainability reporting, which mm -hmm. is the case of the majority of medium-sized uh, companies or smaller. Um, and they might argue that it's not material information, so it doesn't matter. That's actually the, the biggest explanation for, well, you know, ESG information, ESG issues aren't material, so you can ask me, I'll just respond, <laughs> because it's, it's not material information. But if that information is being used to determine an ESG rating, and if that ESG rating is being used by investors to make their investment decisions, which it is in one form or of another, um, then that information, in my mind, could certainly be deemed material. But then again, if all investors were to have access to all of this, equal access to, uh, to these ratings, then it might be a minor issue. But only the investors that are clients of the given ESG rating firm are going to get that ESG rating and the underlying um, research. And, and I don't think that that's how material information should be made available to the markets. Um, how to avoid that? in my opinion, for companies, is to report themselves um, material information on their material ESG issues. 
So you start with that place. First, you identify what's material to your industry and your company, and then disclose that. Is that, is that a summary? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are different ways to do that. There's, there's, you know, different, you know, there's a lot of confusion about that in the market right now about which, which frameworks you should use, where you should put the information. And that is what is stopping a lot of companies or preventing a lot of companies from taking uh, the first step. I would say don't wait for clarity because it's going to be a while for clarity to, uh, to, to come. Uh, I think there are a few standards that really are emerging as very useful tools to to structure your reporting to investors. It could also be reporting to multiple stakeholders. We and maybe we have time to, to touch on that uh, yeah. later on. But um, uh, there are there are uh, some frameworks that are uh, quite useful. Uh, you could put the information in different places. It, it can be your 10K and other regulatory filings, but it doesn't have to be. It could be a standalone report. It could be an annual report or other other form of reporting. Um, a lot of companies are putting information on their website, which is great, but information on a website does not constitute reporting. Now, so I'm thinking back a bit still on the conversation we've been having about where this is within the organization, who it is that's bringing information uh, to the board and, and where it's valuable to investors and materiality. But if we get to the place where boards are interested in this, you know, we were talking about the CEO and the board having uh, an interest in making sure that, that their ESG uh, reporting, but also how they how they live as an organization is is focused at uh, at that level. Let's say a board wants to track their company's ESG strategy and reporting. Is that through the CEO that they should be getting that information? Or since sometimes that information is is potentially unflattering, should they also have an independent route to get that information through a sustainability officer or a chief risk officer? Do you have any opinion on that? You, when you say independently, you still mean within the company, not an external resource, correct? Right. So we talk often about how important it is for a chief risk officer to have some avenue of escalation to the board that, that mm -hmm. can go around um, this, the chief executive officer or someone else who maybe doesn't want to. I mean, it may not be for nefarious reasons or that they're just you know, attempting to protect something that, that um, they think is temporary. So the board sure. has to have some sort of independent way to get that information that gets around that. Would that be true of ESG issues? And if so, uh, where should a board or say a board risk committee be looking for that information? Sure, and, and that Internally. is a great, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to pose uh, the question. Um, and you know, one question always begets other questions. <laughs> I, ultimately, I do, you know, ultimately I see the CEO's role as being the one who is ultimately uh, accountable for everything that happens within the company. Um, I understand the mechanism for driving up information to the board. I would say the best way to do that is to have a formal process in place. And by formal process, it's enshrined in uh, policies, processes, and also reported on as uh, these are the mechanisms by which information flows, you know, down to the teams and then up from the teams to up all the way through the executive committee to the board. Um, if it, can, you know, I don't, I don't think it should sit solely with the CEO. It should definitely sit with the executive team. And the other comment I would make about ESG um, more broadly is that ESG is the quintessential silo breaker in a company because it cannot sit, should not sit with one individual or even one department. This is not just a communications thing or just a legal thing or just a finance thing. 
and it requires a collaboration uh, between different departments. And that's also true at the, at the executive level and it's equally true at the board level. It, it's not the purview of a single board member, it's the purview of the entire board. Um, so I, I think having, having explicit um, channels and processes by which information is um, circulated in both directions and explicit formal reporting processes on a quarterly basis um, in writing uh, having it, you know, ESG information on the dashboards that the board receives and, and you know, it, it leads us into the question of ESG integration. What does that mean and where should it be integrated? Uh, but it's part of the dashboards. It's part of strategy formulation. It's part of the enterprise risk management. And so it should, it will find itself in all of the different tools that the board should be receiving. Um, uh, if to allow it to track and, and if and the, the other question it leads to and I'll try to be very quick about it we'll dive deeper uh, if we have time is this notion of the information may not be very flattering and you know managing material ESG issues is about manage, managing material business issues and it's not about being uh, perfect and it's not about doing everything right and everything perfectly. And it's certainly not about just good news stories. It's about an honest, transparent reflection of uh, how are we doing on this issue? And are we managing it appropriately? Are we managing it according to our expectations? And where do we want to go in the future? How do we want to continue improving um, in the future? And, uh, and that's an important distinction between reporting and communicating. Reporting is about where you're at today and where you're going tomorrow. Um, it's, it's not just about the, you know, the good news uh, stories and it's not about avoiding things that are perhaps not going well because then what, if you're not addressing them, you're not addressing your risks and risks can turn into crises and certainly turn into value destructing um, uh, events or, or activities. And we, we just have a couple minutes left here. So let me ask you one last question because we're looking at something that board members may not be comfortable with yet or organizations may not be completely comfortable in terms of reporting. You hinted at that a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. Is there somewhere, you know, a region of the world or an industry or a group that you could point to? I know you had mentioned SASB earlier, but I'm thinking more in terms of other businesses. Mm -hmm. Is there a region of the world or an industry that you would guide board members to um, in terms of their leading practices? They're the ones who um, are setting the, the standard that others can mimic? Mm-hmm. Well, um, especially in terms of reporting, if you're assuming that reporting is a proxy for doing, because it's very difficult to know unless you're within inside the company that they are actually doing uh, what they say they are. And, you know, then there's that whole notion of greenwashing that we hear uh, a lot about uh, these days, both for investors and companies. When companies claim to do things, are they really doing them? Um, if you're using reporting as a proxy for doing, I think that one of the leading regions in the world uh, is definitely Europe. They've been at it for longer. They have sustainability ingrained in, uh, in their culture um, more deeply than I think anywhere else in the world. That's not to say that it's not happening everywhere else. I think other regions are moving quickly, catching up quickly. Um, but you, you see it in the maturity of the reporting of these companies, a lot of them evolving to integrated reporting, which requires integrated thinking, uh, i.e. sustainability practices are not something that is separate from other business practices. 
the larger companies doing better than the smaller companies. Um, most large companies in the world, including those of the U.S., uh, are uh, reporting on their sustainability practices in a very extensive way. After that, it requires a little bit of digging and scratching and asking questions to, uh, to determine whether they're doing it for real. But by and large, I think companies are genuine in their, in their approaches. In terms of industries or sectors, ironically, it's the resource sectors that have the longest history of sustainability reporting because those environmental and social issues have been uh, more clearly associated with their operating success. Uh, for a longer time. It's again ingrained in their culture, so social acceptability of a mine site, for example, or managing waste um, and tailings for a mine, um, managing uh, energy consumption um, for uh, oil and gas producers, things like that. Now, obviously, um, uh, the issue of the, of the oil and gas uh, products to consumers as well. Um, so maybe those, those industries would have a longer history of reporting. Uh, and I think it's important for us to have those as guides. And I like this, what you had started in your answer to this question was um, asking, is reporting a proxy for doing? I like that because that drives people to look further. And so you, you look to things like, what is the board doing with information? Is the board getting information? Who is it they speak with? A number of the things that we talked about today um, come back to that. And you mentioned integrated reporting as well. To me, all of those are signs that this goes beyond just reporting that it's actually, again, a part of how the organization lives. Um, so I, I think that's a really good way for us to, to bring this to a, to a close. I want to thank you very much, Marie-Jose, for being part of this. We will put a link uh, to your LinkedIn profile so that people can follow up with you with questions that they might have. Uh, but this is really helpful, and I do hope we have some traction with boards. It's going to have to start there uh, in order for the CEOs to feel like this is a good investment of theirs. At the same time, I think the information you're bringing from the investor side, uh, where you, you bring them to the information the companies have, and they see that direct link to the cost of capital, that's also going to drive this. So thank you for bringing those forward. There's much more that you're doing than we covered today. So I'll encourage people to contact you directly. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and uh, always happy to talk about uh, this and looking forward to getting questions and engaging in the conversation.